Welcome to Maiden Speech. I'm your host, Monica Ferguson, self-worth and mindset coach and portrait photographer from New Zealand. And you are in the right place to get uplifted, empowered and inspired. I'm so lucky to have amazing guests come on and share their wisdom about all things related to personal development and being the best version of ourselves. I'm really passionate about reminding people that they are good enough and to have honest and vulnerable conversations where we connect on a real level and have lots of laughs. You can find me on Facebook at, at Monica Ferguson Coaching, where you can join my group for extra inspiration. And I'm also on Instagram at Mon 3.0. Thanks so much for being here and please reach out and connect. I would love to hear from you. Let's get into it. Hey, hey friends, Monica Ferguson here and welcome to the final podcast of Maiden Speech for the year. Can you believe it? The end of 2020. Now, before I get into it, just a couple of things. First off, I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who has been a guest on this podcast, to everyone who has downloaded, to everyone who has messaged me about it and who listens. I appreciate you guys so, so much. It's been such an awesome year in regards to the podcast. Um, <laughs> and so I'm so grateful that you're here. And over the break, I'm actually going to be rebranding this podcast you know, due to my own growth and evolving, um, it's going to be called World Domination, of course. So for those of you who know me, they'll know what that's about. So if you notice changes and things, um, you know, in Apple and Spotify, that's why. Now, today's episode. This lady is phenomenal. This is the first time ever since I've started this podcast that I actually didn't know what to say. <laughs> I... I had so many ideas, so many questions, so many aha moments. This podcast has been widely requested and is such a powerful tool to help us navigate some of those dysfunctional relationships that we might have and whether we know it or not, we might be dealing with a narcissist. Now, I'm so excited to have Jan Haldane come on. She lives in Papamoa um, and she is so many things in one. She's a spiritual counsellor. She, she's also a master hypnotherapist, a life coach. She's an author. She talks about a bunch of, of free resources in this podcast that you can access in the links in the description. But this was mind blowing and she will be back. So I hope you guys get so much out of this. Thank you so much for being here with me this year. Merry, Merry Christmas. Have the best break and the best new year. And I will see you guys early on in the next year. All my love. Let's just get into it. Welcome, Jan. <laughs> Thanks so much, Monica, for, for having me here today. Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited. Um, like I was just saying to you before we started recording, and I knew that we had to start recording early on because all the good stuff was just going to come out, and I wanted it all in the podcast because this was such, a, such an important topic. Like I said, I felt so strongly guided to create this conversation for ages for about a month probably I had that little like tapping on my shoulder gut instinct and then randomly everyone started asking me or speaking to me about narcissists I think they're a narcissist um da 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 and I was like okay we've got to find an expert here so I'm so thrilled to have you I can pick your brain on behalf of everyone <laughs> you absolutely can Monica go oh, for it and I will I will don't you worry about that um so the first thing that I actually want to ask you is do you think that the word narcissist and like narcissism is a term that gets misused? Well, it's um, it's used as a label for people who have not been formally diagnosed 
yeah. with a narcissistic personality disorder, which is a personality disorder. Yeah. Now, bearing in mind that um, not that many people have been diagnosed. So misused, um, technically, yes. But really, it's uh, it's talking about people who are on what I call the narcissistic spectrum. So we all have narcissistic qualities, you know, this healthy narcissism. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be talking here on a podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we all needed that little bit of healthy narcissism. But, you know, then it kind of gets worse and worse and worse as we go up the spectrum until, you know, you end up with psychopath. So, yeah. Um, so Think of narcissist really just as a label. So, yeah, sometimes we're, we're labelling undiagnosed people as narcissists, but I guess what we're meaning is that they're showing a lot of narcissistic traits. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I wonder that because a lot of people, it seems like one of those hot words kind of thing at the moment where everyone's sort of saying, oh, they're such a narcissist, and like, what well, are they though? Or do we just kind of not understand really what that is? Because I think that was one of the most interesting things for me was to learn that it is actually a personality disorder. You know, it's not just bad behavior, like it's actually a disorder. So I would love for you to talk more about what narcissism actually is. What it actually is? Okay, well, let me just have a look here. So if we're talking about um, personality disorder, um, if we refer to Wikipedia, and, and it says here that according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, otherwise known as the DSM version 5, from the American Psychiatric Association, uh, narcissists display a lot of particular symptoms. Um, and now, bearing in mind that, that really the narcissists that they describe here in the DSM are the grandiose type. So, you know, you can probably pick them quite easily because they're arrogant and they're sort of brash. Uh, they expect superior treatment from other people. And they're fixated on power and success and how intelligent and attractive they are. And they think they're unique and superior and they want to associate with high-status people and institutions. And they need continual admiration from others. Now, this is something that all narcissists need. They need supply um, and supply of attention and admiration. And also, narcissists have a sense of entitlement to special treatment and to obedience from others. And they exploit other people to achieve personal gain. This is all what's what's written in the DSM. Mm -hmm. um, they they don't have empathy. I mean, like it's it's such, but they're intensely envious of others. I mean, it's yeah, like pathologically jealous actually, and they think that people are envious of them, which sometimes they are, but sometimes it's actually just a you know the narcissist's um, fantasy, and they constantly demean, bully, and belittle other people. So, you know, that's yeah. that's narcissism in a nutshell, really. Um, and some of them, you know, you can, um, you can pick, like, I mean, you know, Donald Trump. Yep. He's, Heard of him. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, you just maybe watch some videos. I mean, we've all seen bits and pieces. And, and that would kind of, he's really grandiose, you know. So it would be easy to think, well, yeah, he could be a narcissist from the behaviour he's displaying. But then, of course, there's the covert ones, um, which are the most 
difficult to pick and really the most dangerous. And um, because they, they appear to be humble and meek and quiet and, you know, um, nice, nice people, nice guys, you know, if you're dating them or whatever. But underneath it all, oh, my God, because what the narcissist does is they put on this mask because they have the core of the narcissist is insecurity. So they have this belief that unless they wear a mask when they first meet people, no one is going to accept them um, as who they are. So you can meet someone, and, and now this could be, um, you know, a, a love relationship type of thing. It could be a boss. It could be any kind of person. And they're lovely, you know, and you think, oh, well, this person's great. And it's only over time as they somehow get you hooked in entangled with them perhaps financially or somewhere like that that they actually take off this mask and then omg you see the real person underneath and with the covert uh, narcissists boy it's a, that's a dark energy <laughs> it can be a really dark energy and they are very very hard to pick you know, you can see the ones that are loud and um, arrogant and, and you oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the other ones, so they can be so kind and um, quiet. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's getting closer up to the, the other end of the scale, really, than, than the, the loud and proud ones. Yeah. Oh, so okay. So many questions. So many rabbit holes. Like pick one. There's lots hole. of this, this huge yeah. rabbit holes. I can tell you, huge. Oh, it's, I've it's, been down quite a few personally. <laughs> yeah, same, same. I'm sure that's why we're both drawn to this conversation, right? Um, okay. So first thing first, can we talk about? Oh, oh my gosh, Sarah. Seriously, I've got a thousand ideas. Can we talk about the scale? So, like, yeah. sociopath, psychopath, you know, narcissist, how does that yeah, yes. work? <laughs> okay, so, it looks, so psychopath's right at the top. Yeah. Sociopath is sort of underneath them. This is just, this is very loose, okay, just, yeah. just, to, give, <laughs> just to give an idea. Um, but just, you know, if you imagine a line or a continuum, and then up the top of the line we've got psychopath, sociopath, malignant narcissist, you know, really, really horrible version of a narcissist. And then probably covert, and then communal, yeah. and then grandiose is somewhere in, in there as well. And then it just goes down to people that occasionally show some narcissistic traits, and then right down the other end you've got your healthy narcissism, yeah. which, you know, most of us who are in business have to have a, a bit of, or we'd be too scared to do anything. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's how it goes, and it kind of... You know, there's a lot of kind of fluidity with some of those types of narcissists in there. But once you get up towards the malignant and the sociopath and the psychopath, that's that's dark stuff. Yeah. Um, that's really, really dark stuff. And not necessarily what you'll encounter. Yeah. Well, okay. So if we come back to the like people in business, for example, and like healthy narcissism, mm -hmm. how, do, how do we distinguish that from confidence 
you know, like, I guess it's really interesting because it is a continuum. So it's not black and white. It's all gray, isn't it? It really is. And I guess, could we move in and out? Like we could actually have moments where we're a lot more up one end of the scale. And then moments when we fall back into this really, you know, the opposite. I don't know. It's, it's so interesting. It's so fluid. It is fluid, but I think that really um, with healthy narcissism and, and confidence, self-confidence, self-esteem, self-belief, you know, it is down that lower end um, of, of the scale. And, um, and yes, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you can cross maybe a little bit into the, into the actual narcissistic traits. Yeah. Um, some people do, and, you know, they get you back up and you think, oh, no, don't really like that person or whatever. Um, and perhaps they're crossing into those narcissistic traits, but they're, they're not a full on, you know, the, the full on ones, that's how they live their life. Yeah. It's, it's like they run this program in their head. They have to win at all costs. And I mean, at all costs, um, which is not something that most of us run in our heads. You know, we like to win a <laughs> win or have success with our business, let's say, but we're not going to um, destroy other people to do that. Yeah. Whereas in the narcissist world, that is often the case. You know, people are just um, just used, exploited, and abused, and often destroyed with smear campaigns against their name. And uh, there's just so many things, honestly. Some of the things I've... I've seen and heard from clients over the years, from people I know, from myself, people wouldn't believe them unless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's why I, I do what I do because I've just seen, um, well, people have come to me and, and say they've been to another therapist or whoever they've been to see and they said, well, they didn't understand what we were talking about. They made us feel worse, like it was our fault. Yeah. But, you know, but you understand, you get it. And I said, yeah, I, I do get it. Yeah, so, yeah, confidence and healthy narcissism is light years away from a lot of the stuff that, that what I would call a narcissist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So where did your particular interest with narcissism begin? You've sort of alluded to the fact that you've had some experience in your own life. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately probably far too much, actually. Um, <laughs> it, when it began, um, and, you know, unknowing, unknowingly um, that it was narcissism, because it wasn't called that in, back in the day when I was a child, um, my mother was a narcissist, but of course she was just known as being difficult by the family. But mm. lots and lots of emotional abuse, um, really horrible stuff, not physical, um, but, but really, really horrible stuff that is you kind of put away and just get on with life. That was me. I didn't actually believe it. I thought most of it was rubbish. So I put it away and just got on with life. But as I began to study... Um, more was I began to study counselling about thirty years ago, and so some of the stuff started to make sense to me. So that's where it began. And unfortunately, if you come from a family where one of the parents, or heaven forbid, both are narcissists um, or on the spectrum there somewhere, then you are primed to actually attract 
other ones into your life because of course that's been your normal so you've been taught to comply you've been taught to walk on eggshells because that was how you survived was actually you know doing what they wanted all the time mm. yeah yeah so um yeah unfortunately um my second husband was was one um but that's a long time ago now. But probably the worst thing for me was just a few years ago now when I shifted out of the city and um, I met a guy and ended up living in this small country town where I now live and love now, I must, I have to say, I do now. But because um, I was the favourite thing, isolated from my friends and family. Yeah. And also I'd buggered my knee. So I needed surgery. So I really couldn't, you know, oh, to drive to Auckland. Yeah. yeah, to drive to Auckland would be, well, I probably could have done it, but, you know, it wasn't. Yeah, and I got um, hooked into that. And, oh, my God, honestly, I just, because I knew so much on this topic and I just didn't really see it coming. I was yeah. in a bit of because, you know, I'd left everyone and, yeah, I had, you know, I had a new house in, in Papamoa and I had work and, and um, could start my practice down there, etc. But I was in that vulnerable state of, of, you know, leaving everything I'd known for my whole life. And so I ended up getting entangled with him. And of course, he just, and this is what they do, they push for things very quickly, mm. you know, um, wanting to live together because they've got to have someone there. But the problem is you're just a thing. You're not even a person. Yeah. So it was a huge learning experience. It was highly, highly unpleasant. Um, and, you know, I used to beat myself up with all the knowledge I had for getting myself stuck. And, you know, I can remember one thing when I, I moved here and um, he had a, a business that involved having a lot of cars. And so my car was parked in for three days. And I keep saying to him, oh, look, I just want to go down to the, the shops and get a coffee. I mean, I needed my latte, you know. And, <laughs> but, you know, to the country, I mean, that was what, why would you need a latte? But, but I needed to get out and just try and be normal. And there yeah. was always an excuse. And then in my head I was going, oh, my God, he's got me trapped. No, no, surely no, I'm just imagining it. No, I'm, and then finally, because the cars went off for jobs and things, I got out, but he was always made an excuse. And then he would, even if I went down, you know, it was two minutes drive to go and get a coffee. He'd be panicking in case I was leaving. But the way he was behaving was beginning to make me think, well, maybe I should leave. And that had not been my intention when I went there. But there was, oh, honestly, it was just crazy. It really was. And here was I, a woman in my late 50s at the time, um, going through this and it takes a long time to get over it yeah and isn't that the craziest thing I've had this conversation with so many people who were raised in homes like that where you know intelligent strong independent woman finding ourselves in these situations going how did that happen like how did that actually happen I love how you've touched on that that soft that we've been we've been raised we've been primed that way that actually that's what is familiar to us whether we consciously are aware of it or not and I think that's so important because I feel like it's so easy 
especially in the sort of work that we're in where it's all about taking responsibility. It's, it'll be so easy to look at yourself and, and beat yourself up for like falling into a situation. But actually it's, it's like you, you do, you get hooked in and just thinking I'm having all these aha moments for me as well. I just realized one of my earlier boyfriends was also a narcissist, which would fit my pattern as well. Welcome to the club. We could start a narcissist club support group. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, the way that like, it starts out with um, lies, like to hook you. Like he, he made me believe he was way more successful than he was and all these sorts of little stories. And he'd just throw things in like, oh, I don't say this to impress you, but, and then he'd say something, you know, um, and stuff like that. And now, you know, now that I've got distance from it, looking back, I'm just like, whoa, you know, and I had, but I didn't know that, that there were lies for months and months and months until I started realizing, huh, that doesn't match up with what was said. Um, and for me, what was good was that I was in a long distance relationship. So he never fully got possession of me, which is the only reason I'm, I was able to leave. I honestly think that if I'd got sucked in there, because every time I saw him in person, it was drama, like massive drama. Um, but one of the things that I do want to sort of comment on is how interesting it is that at the core of, of narcissism is insecurity. And it's like, you almost feel, well, I feel, even though it's like the, the behavior is, we're not saying it's acceptable, but I feel compassion. Like it's sad that at the core of that person is this deep rooted feeling of not being enough. And I've created this whole crazy world to justify that almost. What are your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, that's where a lot of us who are empathetic and particularly who work in um, the sort of the helping professions yeah. get caught up um, with with narcissists or narcissistic type of people yeah. uh, because we feel that compassion, you know, maybe they had a hard childhood. But when we look at what causes narcissism, that's sometimes part of it. Yes, they had a hard childhood. Mm. But as Tony Robbins would say, why do people do what they do? Yeah. You know, why is it that some people have had a terrible childhood, but in their adult life, they're out there trying to help people, mm -hmm. you know, with the best of intentions, not talking about communal narcissism. Um, and other people are exactly the opposite. They become toxic. So it's... Yeah. Compassion to a point, but we can't let it rule because the other thing is that sometimes a narcissist have been the golden child in the family. Yeah. So often in families um, where there's a narcissistic parent, there is what's called the golden child. So they get everything lavished on them, you know, because they do everything the narcissist wants. And then another child or children are scapegoated. Mm. So either of those... Um, any of those could become a narcissist. It's a choice, really. It, I think it, it, yeah. it's something deep, deep within you that, I know it sounds awful, but there's something there that wants to hurt people because you've been hurt. And I've had people say this actually to me. Mm. Um, well, I've been hurt, so I want to hurt someone as well. I've had, I've had this said, yeah. Mm. By more than one person. Yeah. And so that, that's kind of what's what's in their mind. They've been hurt. They want to hurt someone. So interesting, like you say, though, whereas other people who have been hurt decide, I never want anyone to feel like this. I'm going to do as much good as I possibly can. Yeah. 
fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was interesting what you were saying before about a lot of um, very professional women, strong, competent people. And, of course, guys as well. I mean, you know, um, they get hit with narcissistic women. I mean, and, and they've really got very little support. People don't believe them. Yes. Oh, it's, my gosh. It's so terrible. But, really, narcissists are looking for someone who is um, professional, competent, someone who can add something to their life. Mm. Okay, they're, they're, they're looking, that's what they want. They want someone who's going to add something to their life and then they can destroy them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the game. Yeah. Oh, like, this is the most amazing conversation ever. I feel like <laughs> I'm going to need you for about, like, clear your whole afternoon. We've got lots to discuss. Um, I actually really wanted to comment, there's so many things I want to comment on, but the first thing about that like men being affected by narcissists. Yeah. Now my best friend in the whole world got into a long-term relationship with a narcissist. Both her parents were narcissists. So she had this real sense of entitlement and no empathy at all. And she knew how to control him and how to ma manipulate him. And he's extremely uh, empathetic, very kind. Right. So, and this is actually another question I'll ask you about in a sec mm -hmm. is that because empaths and narcissists, um, because we have big hearts, right? We want to save the world. But um, yeah, I actually, when I was going through that, I ended up in therapy because he was my best friend in the whole world. He's like my family. Watching him get sucked in and I could not get him out and he would not get himself out. And I ended up having to sever that relationship because of for a year because of the damage it did to me watching him. And I almost called, like I've, I've talked to him so much about this and he will be listening to this podcast, I assure you. They're probably the only one he ever listens to. What are best friends for? But um, like talking to him about the word abuse. And I said, you know, if the gender roles were reversed here, you would absolutely call this abuse. But because it's, you know, a male being victimized, like it's it's unclear. But actually, like I almost called a, a family intervention because I was like, something's so wrong. Like the only thing is, okay, she's not hitting him, but everything else is there, you know? Crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that that is, um, that is the thing that it's a common belief, and it was my belief when I was a young woman, that if you weren't being hit, you weren't being abused. Mm. Okay, now with all the information we have at, the, at our fingertips of the internet, we know that that is rubbish. But yeah, with guys, it's very, very hard for them um, to be taken seriously. Yeah. when they're being manipulated and, you know, gaslighted and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, very, very hard for them. Yeah, I, I really do feel for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, so many questions. Now, what I actually want to ask you about is, now that I understand that there is a scale, that it's not black and white with narcissists, for example, when the narcissist does something nice, now I'm going to give you a real example here. Mm. Uh, the ex... Uh, one night went out to dinner and paid, so I noticed that the family at the table next to us couldn't, um, couldn't afford their dinner. So on the way out, he paid for them and he ordered them dessert and then just walked out. So I'm like now looking at things, right? Thinking, okay, was that genuine or was that a move? Was that a move to be like, look how amazing I am. Look how rich I am. Are you impressed with how amazing I am? Tell me how great I am. Or is like, or is there, is there a part? It's like if it's on the scale, can there be 
narcissists who also have some empathy or is that bit black and white like if you're a narcissist you have no empathy or can you sort of have empathy you know <laughs> well it's you know everyone's an individual so yeah in, in general they don't um they don't have a lot of empathy some may have a little um but with that guy i would say he did that to impress yeah and so that kind of um there's, there's a certain type of narcissist called a communal narcissist. Now, that's not exactly that. But they go out there into the community and do good deeds. And people think they're absolutely wonderful. But when they get home behind closed doors, they're abusers. Yeah. But if, you, if, you, if your husband or partner or whatever was a communal narcissist and they're out there in the community and maybe they work for one of the emergency services or, or who knows what, mm. or maybe they just volunteer and people think, oh, well, they're so wonderful. And then you start saying, oh, you know, you've left them because they're abusive or whatever. You're just going to get slammed. Yes. Oh, you and of course, them? they'll ruin your. They'll try and ruin your reputation. They'll try and ruin your business. They'll probably try and get you fired from your job. It's all par for the course. Yeah, and this is so so interesting that outwardly, in my experience so far, which is limited, but you know, as far as narcissists go, it seems like they're very good at projecting this image of I'm so generous and kind and thoughtful, but then behind closed doors, it's just manipulative and cold and so like no one would believe you no one would even believe that they were possible that that was possible for them that they were capable of that because on the outside they're so good at wearing this mask oh. <laughs> that's you know that's so true and that's why a lot of people really struggle because even sometimes their own friends and family don't believe them because they you know they just see the other side what i call it you know jekyll and hyde so they're, they're saying nice, um, you know, Dr. Jekyll, but Hyde is, is hiding um, at home. And that's that's the only time it really comes out. So people just don't see it. And so the victims are not believed. It's, it's really, really yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, one thing that's popping into my head is to actually kind of go back to what we were talking about in terms of compassion, right? Because I want to be really clear on this because the only way out of that was absolute boundaries, which he tried to cross. Like I had to mm. cut all contact. But I think that for me, the compassion bit was, um, it helped me to let go of something when I was never going to get the closure or the apology that I wanted. It helped me to kind of understand that, okay, you're like that because of this. Um, I can now move on. But the need for boundaries was so intense. So, and I said no, and he wouldn't accept that. And I walked away and he wouldn't accept that. And then he did a bunch of really creepy, crazy stuff. And I was like, oh, am I going to have to get lawyers involved? And then he backed off. Good, finally. Um, again, lucky I'm long distance, but can you talk about how we actually manage these relationships in terms of boundaries? And yeah, how, I guess every relationship's different, isn't it? Like if it's your mum versus if it's your partner or your friend, you know, how, how do you start supporting people to kind of figure out what to do with that? Well, yeah, it is a difficult one because yeah, each case is individual, but you certainly do need to have boundaries. Now, of course, they are, are going to cross the boundaries all the time. That's, that's what they do. That's what they're wired to do. They can't 
they can't work with any kind of boundary. Mm. Um, I guess keeping in mind that they're very emotionally immature, you're dealing with a child, essentially. Right, so you're dealing with a child and this is a child that doesn't like boundaries. So you have to protect yourself. And yes, I get what what you're saying about the compassion. So, of course, we do have compassion, but we also have to have self-compassion. Yes. So, yes. so yeah, so we have to put firm boundaries in place. Yeah. Now, this this may be limiting contact. Um, it, it all depends on what situation, you know, you, you're in. Mm. It's, it's, you know, I'd have to have exact situations kind of thing. If you're living with someone, it's different than, say, it's long, dif- long distance. But, yeah, um, what they want from you is they want the supply of attention, adoration, affection, whatever. So they're actually energy vampires. They want your energy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to minimise that, otherwise it's going to get to you. Mm. And so you put on the the self-compassion. So you minimise the time you spend with them. This can sometimes be family members. If they can't um, abide by your boundary of minimising the time, and a lot of them can't, they'll start stalking you and all sorts of other inappropriate things, then you really just have to cut contact. No contact really is the only way with a narcissist that's that's giving you grief. Um, And so you have to block them from everything. And sometimes it's a complete pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. To be honest, you know, if you've got to block yeah. them off your business pages on Facebook and you, um, all of that sort of stuff. So, but you just have to do what you have to do. It's really hard when you've um, separated from one and you've got kids because they're going to exploit that. They're going to use the kids as pawns in the game. Um, and you'll have to have some contact with them. So it's all minimising minimizing the contact and when you have contact it's just very black and white or what they call gray rock which means basically you only you act like a rock you say the least that you can you know you just keep everything so you're not giving them this this supply um yeah very very hard situation when you have children yeah goes on for years and years my son got married a couple of years ago he's 30 this year um, he lives in Christchurch. I went down to the wedding with my daughter, uh, who's um, lived with me for, for most of her her life, and um, he wouldn't say a word to me, not one word. We sat at that table with all his friends and family. They all talked to me. His, his partner talked to me. He wouldn't say one word. We split up in 2003. He's not holding a grudge then. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's but impressive. It's, yeah. <laughs> I think he is because I, I just, I, I wouldn't put up with his nonsense and, and um, put my foot down and wouldn't let him come to my house. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, question. Yeah. Can a narcissist change? If they want to. How often do they want to? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have that statistic, Monica. Um, Let me see, could it be 0.5 of a percent? Not very often, though, is it? In in general, the answer is no, because they don't actually think that they need to change. 
because they're perfect and everyone else is wrong. Well, everything, yes, because no one can, um, they can't do anything wrong. They, um, so it's always someone else's fault. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So really, I mean, if you get them in therapy, they're an absolute pain in the ass. Yeah. (laughs) And just don't even bother going there. Don't, don't do couples counseling with them because they're just going to try and get you on board so that they can actually manipulate their partner. So, um, yeah, yeah. No, there's, uh, I don't think I've ever seen an actual statistic of recovery from narcissism. Yeah, no, that's good to know. It's just, you know, to think about that because, you know, a lot of people, and this is what we'll get into next, is empaths. So, like, a lot of people Mm. that have, you know, are really uh, caring and loving and kind and easily connect to people, um, like, oh, yeah, I've had so many of the people actually that reached out were empaths. But, oh, so many things to ask you. Oh, my gosh, where was I going with that? I just had, like, five more things pop into my head then. <laughs> well, empaths are like a, a magnet to narcissists. I mean, this is what I put in my this ebook I wrote. Yeah. Um, which is part of my, my program and my course. Um, yeah, they're, they're like magnets. But the, the problem is that a narcissist thinks an empath is weak because they're kind of caring. Yeah. So, you know, all the things that we think are the superpowers of empaths yeah. to the narcissist because they are watching all the time. So you're being watched all the time. It's like a, a cat stalking a mouse. They're watching for the weak spots. Yeah. And by being kind and caring... Well, it might attract them because they think they it attracts them because they think that you can be manipulated and taken down. Yeah. Oh, now this is what I was going to say before in in relation to empaths is that Mm -hmm. a lot of people like do they do they hold on to this hope that oh he'll change I can love him back to health you know I can like I can change him I'll fix him kind of thing. Some of them, (laughs) some of them, all their lives. Honestly, I mean. You know, I've seen so many, like, old-school relationships where people have been together for 40-something years, and one of them is a, an absolute raving narcissist, and the other poor person has just lived that shadow of a life for all those years. And, you know, the sad thing is, and look, I saw this with my own parents. Well, no, I didn't actually see it with my own parents, but I, I wish I'd seen it with my own parents, was um, that, that when the narcissist finally dies, that person is free for the first time in their life and they might be in a retirement village or whatever and they're finally they're free. Mm. And it's beautiful to see, but it's extremely sad when this person's in their 80s. Oh, so... Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the old school way, of course, was you you had to stick it out. And of course, women back in the day had no other means of um, supporting themselves. I mean, it's all different now. So that's why we as modern professional women need to take a lot of care in who we get involved with. Because financial abuse is a big thing with a narcissist. They're going to try and financially entangle you, and I can tell you this personally and professionally, um, so that you can't get away from them because they fear that you'll try to once you see what they're really like. And you can be 
have done really well financially and you can be starting again. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So. That's a powerful play, isn't it? Because if, if there's money yeah. involved, then, they, you know, it's hard for you to leave. It's very hard for you to leave. It absolutely is. So, you know, my best advice is um, take a lot of time to get to know someone. Okay, so, you know, a couple of months is nothing. Don't move in with people. Um, don't entangle your finances. Don't go into business with them. Don't buy a house with them. Um, you know, take time. Take a couple, at least a couple of years. Yeah. It takes that to get to know someone, even longer probably, but let's just say a couple of years. I have a friend who's a very competent professional living in a beautiful home, which unfortunately hasn't sold. And she and her narcissistic partner um, are living at each end of the house and he's seeing someone else and threatening to kill her if she, says in, if she tells his girlfriend anything, but wanting to bring the girlfriend around. And she's stuck there because the house hasn't sold. Now, it's oh. worth 1.3 million or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's created an amazingly successful business over the last couple of years, but she's stuck with this guy and his threats, and he's got guns and God knows what, and he has threatened her once with the gun when she first... See, she moved her life to, uh, from, you know, from one city in New Zealand to another, to be with him and as soon as she got there she wasn't parked in but the same stuff started to happen yeah yeah so isolation they want to isolate you so yeah that's all i can really say is for, for everyone to be very very careful because competent professional people get caught all the time mm, yeah okay I have two more points that I want to cover and then there'll be about 20 more podcasts after this, if that's right. Cause honestly, there's just, there are not enough minutes in this hour for me to get to all this stuff. This is so enlightening. Um, now the first thing I want to ask you about is gaslighting. Can you talk about mm. that please? Well, gaslighting is a type of emotional abuse or psychological abuse. And it, um, Actually, I remember watching the film Gaslight with my mother when I was a little kid in black and white, 1944 film, and there's this guy that's trying to make his wife think that she's crazy, and he plays with the um, with the gaslights, dimming them and all sorts of, and he does all sorts of other things as well, you know. So basically, that's what it is, um, being told untruths to try and make you feel as if you're crazy. Yeah. Try to drive you mad. That's what it is in a nutshell. Yeah. And it's one of their, um, their prime weapons, some more than others. The, the covert ones uh, are very good at that. Mm. Yeah. They have all those nasty covert sort of yucky things that they do, manipulative, passive-aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So can we have a real, like, would this be a real life example of gaslighting? So say, for example, uh, you're upset with your partner about something and you say, hey, that actually really hurt me today. And if they turn around and say, oh, nothing I ever do is good enough for you. Is that gaslighting? 
Or is that more like a manipulator? What's the difference? Here? No, that's probably not gaslighting. Um, it, it's, it's sort of just, yeah, usual manipulative sort of kind of passive aggressive stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Which might not necessarily come from a narcissist, that particular thing. Now, gaslighting is more like um, saying, oh, gosh, what can, I, what can I think of? Okay, so here's an example of mine, right? So I used to keep, you know, one of those things that you fling balls for the dog with, tennis balls, I used to keep it out yeah. on, my, on the table on my back deck. And so one day it was gone. I was like, how could that be gone? And I said to my partner, oh, I don't know where his uh, ball flinger is. Oh, you're just imagining it. It was never there. And I said, yes, it was there all the time. It was there every blooming day. And I wandered around the whole, and it's, it's a livestock block, the whole section looking for it. And I said, oh, I'm going to have to get another one for the $2 shop. And then um, half an hour later, he walks back with it and says, oh, it was behind the studio. And I'm looking thinking, no, it wasn't, because I walked behind there too. Yeah. That's gaslighting, that's trying to make you think that you're crazy. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so actually trying to make you think you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, or, or just telling you out-and-out out lies, basically. And, of course, they all lie in, yeah. in to various degrees, some more than others. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's probably that's probably not the best example, but it just you know you know something's there and and has been there for the last six months, and they tell you it hasn't. Yeah, what about if they straight out come and say something like, um, like for example, I was told that I probably have bipolar disorder because I'm so emotional. Um, you know, I don't, by the way. <laughs> No, but, no, no, um, I, I get your drift, yeah. You know, but stuff like that, like actually literally being told you are crazy, that's why you do this. And, yeah, you know, yeah. That's, that is gaslighting because um, they're trying to make you believe that you have a mental health disorder, which you don't. And so, you know, are they, uh, yeah. are they qualified to diagnose? No. And that's the <laughs> thing. It's Those sort of comments have always come after I have – confronted something they didn't want to admit so it's like a deflection right actually you're crazy yeah. that's why there's nothing wrong with me you are obviously crazy interesting <laughs> it's a deflection it's also a projection of yeah. their of what's going on inside them and they are very very good at projection yeah um, and you know that's why they start accusing you perhaps of having affairs or, or whatever because that's what they do in the circumstances so all the dirty stuff that they fling at you that um, has absolutely no basis in reality is actually stuff that they would do. You know, it's, it's their own values or lack thereof that's being imposed on you. Yeah. And then there's also transference, which you might have noticed, which means that, that they start actually um, acting as if you're another person that's been in their life. And treating you that way. Yes, yes. And I've actually, I would say, is this me or is it, are you talking to someone else? Because it, it made yeah. no actual sense based on what was going on. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah. Like, so can you gaslight without being a narcissist? Uh, well, I suppose anybody could. I, I can't, can't give you a definitive answer they, on that. Typically they kind of go together. 
those two. But you know, that's that's one of their major behaviours. I mean, anyone can say nasty things. Um, yeah. But if it's a pattern, yeah. I mean, most people wouldn't do that. So once you see someone starting to do that, then I'd, I'd say, okay, so, you know, slot that down as a red flag, because that's what I talk about in my book. So you've got you to know the red flags, because otherwise you're going to get hooked in. So put it down as a red flag, but if it happens again, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you know that you really, you have to think about this person is not who they seem to be. Yeah. Okay, amazing. So what I'll do too for everyone listening in the description, I'll put um, a link to your website and your podcast. I'm about to speak about this in a sec. So people can actually get a lot more help with this. But um, I want to talk about just some of the real, the pre this will be the last question I promise for now. That's okay. <laughs> for this podcast. I, can, I can go on and on on this oh, topic, honestly. It's so good. It's just so good. It makes you feel free as well when you start to see the dysfunction and that it doesn't come from you. You know, it's like makes it so easy to detach and talking to a professional is just oh i highly recommend guys definitely um contact jan if you want some support with us but um in this amazing podcast that you created and it was what's it 50 70 things 50 things the narcissist of, top 50 yeah the narcissist top 50 <laughs> and i listened to it and i was cooking oh. dinner and i had about I was going to say, I had about 85 aha moments with 50 things. You do the maths on that. But it was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And um, can we talk about, because there were a couple of things that jumped out of that that really, like, punched me in the throat. You know, it was like, whoa, that one was for me. One, sure. one of the ones was um, that they ruin anything that's about you. So, like, they ruin birthdays and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, abs absolutely. Yeah, that and of course coming up to Christmas, that's really, um, yeah, it's a, that's a topic of now actually. Look, they do they ruin anything that's not about them, and I've seen it so many times and heard about it so many times. So yeah, that's why everything turns to custard. All your celebrations, your trips, your anything really. Yeah, and that one was so interesting because in the beginning, he actually used that to his advantage to impress me. Like, look, I remember your birthday and I remember all these significant dates to you, but when the actual day came, he did everything he could to destroy it. And I was like, huh, isn't that interesting how, how that had shifted so quickly? Once he got his claws in, he was like, we're done with that phase. Like, we know we're onto phase two. Really interesting. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask you about was um, how they don't apologize. <laughs> This is a big one, because <laughs> that's one thing that just never made sense to me. I'm like, how can you behave like this and not apologize? Like, you're clearly in the wrong, you know? Like, when I would apologize when I was wrong, but then I would over-apologize too, because that's it. I started to think, oh, maybe I am. Maybe it is my fault. Maybe I, have, I am over the line, and I'm apologizing to him for his bad behavior. Craziness. <laughs> it, it happens. It absolutely happens. But you see if you step into their mind, they don't think that they are doing anything wrong. There is no such thing as wrong. Now, there's degrees of that again, you know, um, some of them, do, you know, they, they'll abide by the law, not all of them, but some, um, or actually quite a lot will abide by the law, but um, their concept of wrong and our concept of wrong on a personal level is very, very different. We'll take too much responsibility for ourselves often 
as empaths and they will take none. Well, it can't be their fault anyway. It's got to be you. There's something wrong with you. Yeah. So they project that, meaning, of course, that there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Yeah. Is this, I've read this somewhere. I can't actually remember if this was in your podcast or not, but I read that one of the biggest things was that they, um, they will say, oh my gosh, my brain. I'm just like, literally, I've got so many things flooding into my brain. I can't even focus. Deep breaths, Monica. This is obviously a passionate topic. Um, that they are, oh, that they say you're too sensitive. That was actually one of yes. the ways to measure. It wasn't your, was your podcast. And when I read that, I think it was like the first one when I heard that. I was like, oh my, because that is something that's actually come up in so many of these podcasts, even with different empaths, different healers, different people, that so many of us were told that you are too sensitive. <laughs> no, and of course the reality is you're not too sensitive. Well, you are too sensitive for them. Yeah. Because of the stuff that they like to dish out on a regular basis. But in general terms, you're not too sensitive. But it is one of their favourite lines. Um, particularly the covert ones, yeah. So that's part of, is that considered gaslighting, that comment? Oh, well, I suppose it could be in a way. They're trying to convince you that you're something that you're not. So, yes, I, I guess so, yeah. Um, so that then you start thinking, you start second guessing yourself, which, of course, is part of gaslighting and part of, of what they like, and thinking, oh, well, I'm too sensitive, so every time he calls me a uh, um, whatever, 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 which is absolutely abusive, um, I just have to accept that because I'm too sensitive. So it's actually opening the door for them to abuse you. Mm. That's what that's about. And surely it's a way of them never having to take responsibility as well, like ever. Oh, but it's your fault, it's not mine, so I don't have to apologise. <laughs> they don't take responsibility. They're just, um, I mean, deep inside them, there is the toxic shame of being who they are. Um, and part of not taking responsibility, it, it really is about if they take responsibility, then they have to kind of be in a moment of that shame mm. and they don't want to. So they take no responsibility. Yeah. yeah. What are some of the other kind of day-to-day -day things that people might see in a narcissistic person? <laughs> um, well, they expect to be waited on hand and foot. You know, often with narcissists, they don't. If you live with them, they don't do anything around the house. Hmm. They just expect, they expect their meals to be cooked. They expect the house to be perfectly clean, all of the stuff, but they don't lift a finger. Yeah. Um, what else? Well, they just want everything their own way. So you may find that you stop doing the things that you like doing um, and you only do the things that they want to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, that's one of the things is that people lose themselves in relationships with narcissists. Mm. Um, and then, of course, once they get out of them, which hopefully they do, fingers crossed, is then they beat themselves up for having been in the relationship. But I, I actually read this the other day and I just, I loved it because it said, don't beat yourself up. You were actually in, in a relationship with someone with a personality disorder, not 
or yeah. a normal person, but you know what I mean. This yeah. person actually had a personality disorder, so don't beat yourself up because what what did you know about it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's such a a powerful point and kind of probably the thing we'll discuss on the next podcast. But is actually how to heal when you get out because isn't that like I don't know about you, but my experience I got out the first thing I felt was relief. And then Mm. I had this wave hit me of, oh my God, I'm so unworthy. I'm not good enough. And then when I met someone else, that's when it really hit me. I really had to face all these feelings that had over a year built up of, I don't deserve time. I'm not good enough. Um, Yeah, constantly being dismissed, constantly having my feelings disregarded. It had really impacted me more than I'd known. And so my own healing was so important. I love that you've brought this up, that forgive yourself you know it's like it wasn't your fault and it wasn't okay um and so really our own inner healing and our own connection to our you know self-love and self-worth is so important isn't it <laughs> really oh look at it it absolutely is i mean um yeah the healing bit takes a while but and once you go into another relationship it often triggers other stuff so that's why yeah. originally in 2014 i wrote a book called You Can Love Again. I didn't mention the word narcissist anywhere in there, but there are some actual examples. That's a freebie on my website now if anyone wants it. And it's got coaching tools in it. Um, And that's why I I wrote the other e-book, which is Hypno Rescue, Reclaim Your Life After Narcissistic Abuse, because I wanted to have a structured program where you could actually heal. Because you have to let go of a whole lot of stuff before you can actually really start moving forward. Otherwise, you're taking it into your next relationship, which is not fair to your next partner. And it's probably going to taint or maybe destroy that relationship. So, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. And, yeah, it can take a while. It absolutely can take a while. It depends on how long you've you've been with them and, and how bad they were. Yeah. Mm. yeah okay yes. amazing so heaps of free resources for everyone and i'll put links to your book go and get the book get both books by the sounds of it um and, and get the free resources and go and follow jen's podcast um definitely listen to this top 50 things that was so oh so many aha moments but um honestly i could talk to you all day i'm going to stop now because i have things to do but um thank you so much for being here i so appreciate your time this has been mind-blowing <laughs> well my pleasure i know it's it's not always the happiest of subjects but the main thing is if you if awareness is raised it helps people to heal because that's when the aha moments start to come in and you start to realise what's actually happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It's amazing how that helps. Totally. And I think just helping people take their power back after a, a state of being so disempowered for so long. Yeah, absolutely. And I have, um, oh, it's part of my program but it's also an insight timer it's called soul retrieval it's a meditation or a hypno visualization whatever you want to call it yeah um on insight timer which of course is a free app and then i've got bed gnosis as well which is great if you're trying to get over someone you can listen to 
at oh night. Gosh. Can you send me the link to that as well? I can send you, yeah, I can send you because those, those two are lovely yeah. and um, people might need them over the, you know, the whole holiday period. They'll be amazing. Yeah. I totally. Well, thank you so much, Anne. It's been so nice meeting you and chatting. <laughs> My pleasure, Monica. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. And have a great Christmas. Yes, you too. I will. Thanks, Dan. Alrighty. Bye. Bye.